The John Morris Show, episode 148. The John Morris Show. Your life on code. Ladies and gentlemen, John Morris. Stay away from PHP. So says the co-founder of a company whose flag, flagship product is built with PHP. Hey everybody, John Morris here. JohnMorrisOnline.com. Welcome back to the John Morris Show. Now, why, pray tell, does he advise new developers to stay away from PHP? Well, I'm going to get into that, to that in a minute. But first, here's what's coming up in the show. So, how do you get hired when you have no experience? I mean, who hires a developer who hasn't actually worked on a project or has no resume or portfolio? And I think that is the dilemma that nearly every new developer faces. And I'm going to show you what's really going on, in my opinion, and several ways around it. And so that's what's coming up in our main segment. Plus, in our FAQ segment, I have a YouTuber who called me out on using Upwork to get jobs. And you're not going to want to miss my response. But like I mentioned earlier, you should stay away from PHP. According to the co-founder of a company whose flagship product is built with PHP. Now again, what's his reasoning? Social stigma. Or more specifically to quote him, the problem I have with PHP has nothing to do with the language. It's its reputation. I can't count the times I've started a conversation with a programmer who upon finding out I primarily do PHP got awkward with me. And then later he continues, developers who more so live in the Java dominant corporate bubble will likely silently dismiss and dismiss me as an incompetent programmer. Right. So your problem with PHP is that know-it-all developers living in their self-righteous bubbles will silently dismiss miss you as a noob, which does happen. I've had that happen to me. I have <laughs> friends of family that are in the IT world that do that. But you're going to tell me that that's why you don't like PHP? So the problem here, or, or this is the problem in my opinion, with the developer popularity contest that has become so rampant online, I'm talking about developers who are more worried about how many Twitter followers they have than the quality of their projects or their own bottom line. And I think it's pretty rich for a guy whose entire reputation comes from a PHP application that he helped build to talk about the social stigma of PHP. I think that's ignoring the unseen or only focus, focusing on the scene and not seeing the unseen. I mean, you do realize that nobody would give two hoots about your opinion if it weren't for PHP and the PHP application that you helped build. You, you realize that, right? So it is probably true that the skinny-jeaned, latte-sipping, self-righteous know-it-alls in Silicon Valley or New York City will snicker if you mention PHP. I've had people here in good old Nebraska 
snicker when I've mentioned PHP. But it's also true that the startup that they work for will probably be belly up in six months and they'll be forced to go slumming with PHP projects for clients in order to pay their bills. Why? Because most of the rest of the web runs on PHP. But please, please do tell me about the Node.js or the Golang application that powers 26% of all websites like WordPress does. Or the shiny new language that powers the back end of 82% of all websites. I'll, I'll wait while you inform me on that. <laughs> so, honestly, whatever these elitists know-it-alls say, I do the opposite. They're like the per- perfect barometer for what not to do. And so far, it's worked out great. Now, there's a lesson in all of that if you're paying attention. Now. If you actually have some guts and you realize that these clowns are clueless and you couldn't really care about the nonsense that spews from their mouths, then head on over to johnmorrisonline.com slash learn PHP to take my free PHP course. Now, the green-haired know-it-all at Starbucks might not approve, but the clients who are actually going to pay your bills will. So again, head on over to johnmorrisonline.com slash learnphp to take my free PHP course. All right, as I mentioned, coming up in the main segment, we're going to get into how you can get hired without any sort of experience, which is a big dilemma for a lot of new developers. And I'm going to be going through the two main conflicts or the two main roadblocks that I, I think people face and kind of really pulling this all apart to show you why believing that you need a ton of experience may it may not be as important as you think it is plus i was also called out on youtube uh for uh advising using upwork to get uh freelance work and i don't think you're going to want to miss my response all that coming up next you're listening to john moore show johnmorrisonline.com you know one of the big mistakes that i see a lot of developers make is they make learning how to code much harder than it has to be. For example, I see a lot of developers who think the list of skills that they need to learn to master PHP is pages and pages and pages long. It's not. Now, I've said this before, and I will definitely say it again, but there's a foundational set of skills that you need to learn in order to be functional as a PHP developer, meaning that you can execute on projects and get paid. This is the fallacy that is so prevalent in the PHP developer community, that there's this ideal set of skills that you have to learn and that you have to be the absolute greatest developer in the history of mankind in order to be able to get paid to code. You don't. You simply need to be able to execute on projects. I talk about end results all the time. You need to be able to deliver end results to clients because that's ultimately what they want. But when you focus on these foundational skills and learning only those first, the things that will allow you to execute on projects, what you realize is that you can start getting paid to code much faster than you probably ever thought because you haven't set 
this idealistic, unattainable bar for yourself to reach before you allow yourself to take paid work. You can start now when you can execute on a deliverable, when you can complete a, a single project, when you can create a contact form or a business website, when you can execute on that, you can start. And you can start then building the life that you wanted that you got into this all for the, in the first place. Instead of continuing to slave away at some job making somebody else rich. Anyway, you can learn these skills in my free course, The Beginner's Guide to PHP, which you can enroll in at johnmorrisonline.com slash learnphp. And it's going to teach you these foundational skills so you can get started right now. Again, it's a completely free course that you can take at johnmorrisonline.com slash learnphp. Don't wait on this. Head over there right now and get started building that life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the John Morris Show, johnmorrisonline.com. So this segment, we're going to dive in the main topic for this episode, which is how you can get hired when you have no experience. And this is primarily for new developers or it can be developers who've maybe worked for a company for a while and they're kind of getting back into the freelance side of things. So they, they wouldn't necessarily have any experience specifically related to freelance. There's a couple of different ways that you can apply this, but most often it's going to be for brand new developers who've taken the time to learn how to code and are now trying to put themselves out into the job market and aren't exactly sure how they're going to get hired when they really have no experience. And it's kind of a catch-22 because you can't get the experience if you don't get hired, but you can't get hired if you don't have the experience. At least that's the, the, way, the way a lot of people think. And so I want to kind of pull this apart, talk about some of the things that I went through, how I dealt with it, and then some of the simple things that you can do to get around this. So I think there's two different internal conflicts that are, that are going on with this. One is an emotional kind of conflict or roadblock that you have to deal with. And then the other one's a practical one. It's more practical and there's some just some simple things that you can do to deal with that. I also think there are kind of two main or two primary contexts or scenarios in which we tend to think about these things. And each one has a kind of a slightly different answer or way that you go about implementing it. Now the fundamentals of solving this problem are the same. But when it comes down to the specific implementation, they can be a little bit different. So again, I want to parse through all this. So no matter what career path that you want to take, no matter how you want to approach it, which conflict primarily is holding you back, no matter what the the situation is for you, you can navigate your way through it and you can take the next right step in the, toward the IT career that you're after. And that was something we talked about in a past episode uh, one of the things that Joe Madden of the Chicago Cubs has really preached to his team ended up leading to them winning the first World Series they've won in a, since 1908, so like 108 years. And one of the big things that they focused on is no matter what happens, taking the next right step. It's funny, as I was watching the uh, Game 7 of the World Series and the Indians came back, uh, hit a, uh, I think it was a two-run homer, to tie it up in like the bottom of the eighth or, or I think it was the eighth inning. I can't remember if it was the top or the bottom, but 
they came back to tie it up and then you know they and the cubs had brought in one of their relievers he had been kind of on extended time he'd probably pitched more than he should have and he was struggling a little bit and so they were they <laughs> the momentum had swung to the indians in like the bottom of the 8th and so I, I remember watching it, thinking and watching Joe Madden and, and the way he reacted. He didn't get angry. He didn't overreact to the situation. He just kept looking at you know, what he had in terms of pitchers available, who he had coming up. He was just, and he just kept making decisions and, and, and really looked like he was practicing what he preached and, and just focused on, okay, we're, we're at where we're at. What's the next right step? And so again, I, I want to pull this all apart out you for you so that you can have the information in order to be able to make that next right step, no matter where you are in your career. And you know, the thing is about this is, in my experience, these things are going to continue to pop up for you throughout your career at every stage of your career, no matter how intermediate or advanced or these these things are beginner these things tend to to pop up especially the the emotional part of this the emotional conflict that's going on so every time that you want to try to make a new move in your career whether you want to switch or you want to advance whatever it is uh this is going to come up for you so again it's important to work for this so i'm i'm talking about people that are kind of new in web development but even if you're you're more experienced you you may have faced this and may have found a way around it before that's not necessarily exactly ideal and may not work for you again in the future. So again, I want to go through all this. So the thing about this is I can relate to to where you're at with this. When I started, I spent the first few years, you know, con- calling myself a developer or, or what I would consider as a developer. I spent those first few years really scared to put myself out there. And, and and I've talked about this before, but I was just terrified to put myself out there and just really go for it. And in fact, the first IT job that I applied for, I had no <laughs> illusions that I was going to get hired. I had I didn't think I was going to get hired at all. I th- thought I had no chance. The the job had been, you know, posted out to a they had actually sent out to their mailing list and there were tens of thousands of people on that mailing list. Uh, and, you know, there were all sorts of people that I'm sure, and it was a kind of a developer-oriented mailing list, a part of it anyway. And I was just sure there were tons of people that were going to apply. And I, I just, I assumed I had no chance. And uh, it was because I didn't have any real experience at the time. I had kind of been teaching myself. I'd done some of my own stuff. But I had never worked for anybody. I'd never had any clients. I'd never done any of that stuff. So I just assumed that I wasn't getting hired. And I remember, you know, the only thing that got me to to actually even apply was I just said, eh, F it. I just said, screw it. I got, I'm like, eh, I'm going to apply. Even if I have no chance, I'm just going to apply anyway. And even in the interview, I, I did get an interview. And they asked me what I thought my PHP skill level was. And I said, oh, I, it's probably like a six or a seven, right? Which uh, <laughs> in an interview, usually you're trying to put your best foot forward and say, often people, what they do is they say they better, they're better than they are. Well, I said I was a six or a seven. I just completely undersold myself. And I took this scared, sheepish approach to the whole thing. And so that that was just how I approached it because I just assumed I had no chance of getting the job. And for me, my big problem, 
And I think this is the first big conflict that almost all new developers face. You know, the the coding and the technical side of stuff, you know, that that's kind of the first challenge that you're really looking at. But when it comes to the career side of things, I think this is the really first big challenge or roadblock that all new developers faced. And this is the emotional conflict that I mentioned earlier. And uh, my problem was I didn't believe that I was good enough, that I, that I wasn't ready, that I didn't know enough. And I mean, let's be honest, that's probably there for you as well. And a big part, in my opinion, the big part of the worry behind nobody will hire me because I don't have any experience is that fear that you don't know enough or you worry that you're not good enough. Now, this is why I'm so devastatingly harsh on what I call the know-it-alls out there, and especially this idea of constantly harping on that in order to be considered a real developer or get a job or get hired, you have to know this massive list of skills. That's why I constantly attack that idea because I think that's a big source of the fear that that new developers have. They've been told by these people that are supposed to know that the list of things that they need to learn is huge and that you have to do all this stuff in order to be considered a real developer. And if you're doing things this way or you're doing things that way, then you're not a real developer. You're just a noob. Like it's, it's on and on and on. And when you really start to dive into it, what you realize is it's not about any sort of objective truth. It's about that individual developer and what they happen to know. <laughs> it's surprise, surprise, all the things that they say that you need to know in order to be a real developer or all the ways that you're supposed to do things uh, in order to be a real developer are all the things that they happen to know. Or all, 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 It's the way that they happen to do things. Big shocker, right? So it, it, it's not about, again, objective truth. It's about simply being self-righteous. And that's why I constantly attack that idea. But I also think the kind of the other big fo- conflict, the more practical one, is... And I think this is a genuine belief that, well, employers or clients, they're not, I mean, they're just not going to hire developers who don't have experience. Why would they, right? It so it doesn't make any sense. And there, there's so many developers out there. Why would a client or a boss or wherever risk their project or their company or their team or whatever on someone with no experience? And again, I can relate to this. That was you know, that was a big worry for me when I first got on Elance. You know, I didn't have a portfolio. I didn't have any job history. I, I'd never worked with clients before. And so I didn't have that sort of experience. I just kind of assumed that nobody was going to hire me. You know, again, I thought that same thing. People just don't hire developers like that. Well, (laughs) maybe not, right? That, that, that seems like Kind of a duh, yeah, of course not. People aren't going to hire those those kind of developers. But that's not 100% true. And there are answers to these riddles and ways around these dilemmas that actually work and are probably a lot easier than you think. So for me, what started to kind of unravel all of these erroneous or these bad ideas 
was frankly just the experience, just actually saying the one time I said, screw it, I said, F it, and went for it. And then just watching what happened as I just decided not to let myself stop myself. Like I was going to make them tell me no. That was really kind of the mindset I started to take on. It's like, you know what? I'm just going to let them, I'm going to make them tell me no. And then watching what happened because I did get hired for that that IT job. And when I put myself out on the Elance, I did start getting work. And I realized that people do hire developers with no experience. If you do some small, simple things that, in my experience, end up making a really big difference. And so that's what I want to talk about here. So for me, the revelation came mainly from my stint on Elance. And the things that I discovered there, this is why I always recommend that people freelance for some period of time because the things that I discovered on freelance or on Elance, you know, they, they changed my career permanently. Like had I never freelanced uh, on Elance, you know, I, I would not be anywhere close to where I am right now. And one of the first things that I discovered was that I knew a lot more than I thought I did <laughs> compared to the clients that I had started working with. You know, compared to them, I was like Yoda. And I think too often we compare ourselves to other developers. You know, we see these developers on Twitter and on Facebook and on their, you know, their YouTube videos. And we see them, you know, on their websites and so forth. And we see how popular they are. And we see them, you know, working on these open source projects and all of this stuff. And we just watch the way they talk and, the, you know, we see some of the code they write. And we constantly compare ourselves to those developers. And the truth is that there's always going to be somebody smarter than you. So if you're constantly comparing yourself to other developers, you're always going to find someone who's better than you, smarter than you at some particular thing. So when we see that, we think that we don't have anything to offer. That why would someone hire me when this guy or this girl exists? Right. And and so we, we kind of it becomes a self kind of defeating attitude. But the truth is, it's not or it's rarely other developers that hire you, especially freelance work. Maybe more in, in, in a regular IT job, they would have a developer like a senior developer. But oftentimes it's non techies that you'll work with. And most of the non techies that you work with know so little about technology that you actually have a ton to offer them. As a matter of fact, you can very easily prove this to yourself. Go find any of your friends or family or someone you know that you can talk to that owns their own business. This is particularly uh, revealing. Someone that owns their own business. The reason I, bring, I say that is because if you own your own business, especially kind of a, a store they've had to deal with trying to get internet into their place and having a POS system. And they've had to deal with technology and depending on what they do, they could be more or, uh, you know, more involved or, or, or more in need of technology or less. Right. Uh, or, or, you know, there's someone who's trying to engage in some sort sort of marketing online. And so they're, they're talking about getting a website, but like a realtor is a really good person to talk to. 
you know, go find, you know, go find your, a local realtor. If you have a realtor, you've bought, bought a house or sold a house, go talk to that person or insurance agent and just get into a discussion about technology with them. Right? It doesn't have to be, you know, some in-depth thing, but just, and it doesn't even have to be web development you could be talking about maybe, you know, or it could be talking about a website or social media or heck, just their internet or their phone system. Just get into a discussion uh, with them about it. What you'll quickly discover is that they know very little and they actually hold, it's almost worse because they hold all of these sort of like voodoo magic ideas about technology and how it works. And as you're sitting there talking to that person, just, just ask yourself, as they're telling you what they think or what's going on or whatever, as they're talking, ask yourself, do, do you think that you could help them? Right? Do, you, do you think that maybe you have some value to add to their life and their business? Are there things that they're saying that immediately when you hear them, you're like, okay, that's just way off, that, but doesn't make any sense. And if you were to go in and, and correct them and help them out, that they would be excited and they would be thankful for that. Chances are that, yes, you, you not only have some value to add, you probably have a ton of value to add. The thing to remember or the thing to realize is that's all, in the end, that's all that really matters. Is your ability to deliver some sort of value to somebody. Now, uh, again, I can I could go on and on about this, but you should have seen some of the first few websites that I built. <laughs> Those were, they were not very good, but the clients were happy, especially for the time period. But you know, the clients were satisfied with what they got. They were most of them were ecstatic because for them it was an improvement. A lot of them didn't have anything, or what they had was some website builder from GoDaddy that was really bad at the time. And so they, they were ecstatic. And then as I got better, as I did it more, as I learned more, then I had more value to offer. And then I was able to charge more. I was able to get more work, etc. So wherever you're at right now, chances are you have some sort of value to, that you can offer. So the point is you know, already know enough. The trick, in my opinion... The thing that really makes it much easier for you, both emotionally and practically, is how you position yourself. To me, that is the fail-safe. That's the, the safety net. And that's how you can keep from getting in over your head, is how you position yourself. And you know, once this kind of clicks for you, it gives you the peace of mind to put yourself out there knowing, not hoping, not thinking, not believing, knowing that you're not going to ever put yourself in a bad spot. That you're doing the right thing to make sure in advance that you're not putting yourself in a position where you can't deliver. So what do I mean by positioning? What I generally mean is how you present yourself. How you market or sell yourself, whether it's as a freelancer, whether it's applying for a regular IT job, because even applying for a regular IT job, you're still selling yourself. So it's how you present yourself. And this kind of relates to the two contexts that I mentioned at the start, which are again, as a freelancer or uh, as an employee. 
So you might be looking to start your own freelance career. You might be looking to get hired at a tech company. You know, I've done both, and the fundamentals are the same. That's the thing to understand here. At, at the core of it all, it's all the same, but it's just in how you implement it. And the key, the key here, and the key in terms of the fundamentals, is the buzzword that I am constantly harping on with all of you. And that buzzword is specialization. That is positioning yourself as a specialist in something in particular, as opposed to this generalist that supposedly knows all of this stuff. Now, this is particularly important and, and matters when it comes to the no experience question. How do I get hired with no experience? Because it helps you to get around that. And, and so here's why. First, by specializing, you're defining a very specific end result that you provide. You're saying, I specialize in building a business website. And if you really want to get particular, it's I specialize in building websites for restaurants or websites for car dealers or websites for realtors. If you take a look at the market, here's an easy way to start to see some of this specialization happening. Go to a WordPress theme company like StudioPress and look at the themes that they offer. Now, they're going to have some general kind of general purpose themes, but what you'll see is they have themes that are clearly marketed towards a specific group of people. So they have one of the ones that they have released last time I looked was called Agency. And that one was targeted towards real estate people. So it was people who were realtors, real estate agents, etc. And that theme is targeted specifically for those people and really doesn't make sense for any any other sort of business to use that particular theme. Now, there will be themes out there for photographers. There'll be themes out there for freelancers. There'll be themes out there you know, for insurance agents, etc. Or you can go to Rap Bootstrap and look. You'll see some of that specialization. So the idea is, is that there's this huge market of people that need websites, but there's realtors that need websites, and they need a particular kind of site. There's you know, auto dealers that need a particular type of site, etc. And then it's not just websites. You know, sometimes people need a WordPress website, or they need a contact form, or you know, they need. There's all sorts of different, very specific end results. So an end result would be a real estate website, or a website for a real estate agent, or a website for an auto dealer. That's the end result, or a contact form is the end result. So again, by specializing, you're defining a very specific end result that you provide that you are an expert in. And by its nature, that end result will require a very limited set of skills. It doesn't require building a, a website for a real estate agent doesn't require every skill that could ever possibly be learned in web development. It requires a more specific set of skills. And so in order to learn how to do that, then you only have to learn that specific set of skills. And it doesn't matter that you don't know these other 10,000 skills. All that matters is that you know the 100 or the 50 or the 20 or the 200 or whatever it is, you know that number necessary in order to deliver that end product. So you're zeroing in on something 
that by the time you put yourself out there, instead of going around trying to learn all this different stuff, you hone in on learning this specific specific set of skills. You get really good at building them on your own, in your own practice, to the point that you can you have some examples of your work that you've created. You, you're zeroing in on something that you already know how to do. And that by the point you put yourself out there, you're comfortable delivering on it because you've built it five or six times for yourself on your own. And so you know this thing inside and out. And as a specialist in this one thing, you know, you, you're, you're just simply not going to work outside of the scope of that specific end result. So if they ask you to build, you know, a, a website for a realtor, you know, then they get into, hey, can you, you know, help with, you know, X, XYZ weird technical thing? Like, can you help us with our email uh, or Outlook or whatever, just as a random example? You can say, no, I specialize in this. This is what I was hired to do. This is what I'm going to do. And oftentimes you don't even get those questions when you position yourself as a specialist because they know you've, you're a hired gun come and come, hired to come in and do this one particular thing. So they're, they're, it just doesn't even cross their mind to ask you about this other stuff. And if they do, it's an easy no. Well, no, I got hired to do this. I'm not really good at that kind of thing. This is what I specialize in. So if you do that from the start, it keeps you from getting into a situation where you're asked to do something that you don't know how to do, right? You're only doing things that you already know how to do. So it keeps you in your comfort zone and working within your strengths. So that eliminates a ton of fear. There's always going to be fear with working with clients. If you're like me, whenever you meet somebody new, there's always a little anxiety there working with someone new. You don't know how they're going to react. You don't know if they're going to like what you built, etc. all that. That's all still going to be there. But specializing helps eliminate kind of that general fear of being not being capable of whether I can deliver or not just in general. It helps eliminate that, which is a huge part of the anxiety that you experience and is often the thing that most keeps you held back. And it eliminates because you know you can do it because you've already built this project several times on your own. You already have most of the code. And all you're really doing is tweaking it for a particular client. So this specializing almost completely eliminates that first conflict of do I know enough? Well, can you build the end result? <laughs> If you can deliver and build it, then you know enough to offer your services to build that one thing, right? You've already proved it to yourself because you've built it. It's just a matter of tweaking for a particular client. But I also think that it eliminates the second one. And here's why. And I've talked about this before, but people, I found that people have this quirk of their thinking or their personality where we tend to value a specialist over a generalist by default, right? Just in general, we just tend to assume that someone who specializes in something knows more about that thing than someone who claims expertise in several different areas. Even if we have no valid reason or proof to think so, if you, you know, if 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 you were to needed a uh, had pipes that were broke. Right? And I've kind of used this analogy before, but if you had pipes that were broke and 
you had the option between a plumber and a handyman, and let's say they both cost the same, you would probably assume that the plumber knows more about plumbing than the handyman. Now, a handyman will kind of do all of the those different things, and plumbing would be one of the things that he might do. But you would tend to assume that the plumber probably knows more than the handyman. That's just It just seems natural. Now, that might not be true. You have no reason to necessarily believe that about two particular individuals. This handyman may be really smart and, and know a ton about plumbing, way more than the plumber does. But by default, we're going to assume that the plumber knows more. So it's, it's just this natural tendency that we as people have. And if you think about it, if you think about the way you look at particular things, uh, you'll find that you have it too, <laughs> that you tend to assume that as well. And so that's one of the really key and important and simple ways that you can get hired with no experience. You can get hired when you have no experience because you specialize in something, because you're the plumber, not the handyman. Now, it sounds when you say that, you're like, really? Is that, is that true? Like, does that work? Yes. It, and it's weird. It's not necessarily, there's not necessarily a great explanation behind why, but it just works. It just does. So, for example, and I, I want to try and provide you with evidence of this. This is a message that I got from Raul, and I've got lots of messages like this before, but this one was particularly clear. So it was a message from Raul over on Patreon a while back, and he was talking about this exact thing. So he had asked me about niching down, which is something I've talked about before, which is basically defining a tighter specialization. So instead of you know saying you build websites, uh, niching down would be saying you build WordPress websites. So it's a tighter specialization. And usually the tighter you go, the better, um, because it, you, you come across as more of a specialist. Okay. So anyway, he was asking me about this and I advised him that he had asked if, if the niche was going to be too small and so forth. And I said, you know, you'd have to do the research, but generally it's better to go for a smaller niche, especially at first. And so I told him to go for it. And so this is what he sent me back after he did that. He said, I can't believe it. I honestly can't believe it. After doing some research and niching down on my Upwork profile to WordPress landing pages from just landing pages, one day after that, I already have an invitation to a project that I can actually do. I honestly can't thank you enough. Even though this is only one more client, I'm confident that with more research and personal marketing, I'll only need a few more clients and time to reach my current income goals. So the point is, is, you know, he probably like you when he heard me say that was like, I don't know. And he said, I, I honestly can't believe it. But it just, it's this weird thing about people and it just works. So specializing in an end result is how you get around both of the two main conflicts that we, we talked about. The fear of not knowing enough because you, if you know enough to be able to deliver the end result, then you know enough, you know what you need to know, right? That's, that's all you need to know is to be able to deliver on what you promise. So it, it helps get rid of that fear of not knowing enough. And it helps you work around this idea that, you know, developers or, or clients or, or people, you know, hiring, they won't hire developers that have no experience. It helps you around both of those. Now, with that said, 
there are some practical things that you can do to help yourself out, to make this easier, to make it more effective. And so I want to go through those real quick. So the first one, and in my opinion, probably the biggest is your portfolio. So you may not have any experience, but I'll assume that you have skill or that you're working to get to the point where you have skill enough to, again, be able to deliver on an end result, which means hopefully that you can actually build whatever you decide to specialize in. Now, again, if you're not at that point yet, that's fine. Your learning should then be focused on getting to that point and not learning a thousand things, learning the 50 to be able to deliver on the end result, which means you're going to learn a lot faster, by the way. But so by the time you get to the point of wanting to build stuff for people, you know, you, you have the skill to be able to build it. That's the whole point. So build out some examples. One, you're just going to give you more practice, but two, now you can take those things and put them in your portfolio. Your portfolio, I've said this before, I say it again and again and again, your portfolio does not have to be filled with projects from clients. This has been done historically for years and years and years and years by the great artists of the time. I did a whole episode on Leonardo da Vinci and how in his lifetime, he did like 20 commissioned works. Yet he's known as one of the most prolific artists and scientists and inventors out there. Why? Because he was constantly doing what are called studies or scribbling in his notebook. In fact, one of the things that you will find in the museum, in the in one of the museums for Leonardo da Vinci that is probably more famous than a lot of the paintings that he did or a lot of the commissioned work that he did is that what's called the Vitruvian man, which is that picture of the the guy standing. He's got like standing straight and then he's standing with his arms and it's like in a circle. You've probably seen it before. Well, Leonardo da Vinci was the one that, that drew that and he drew it in his notebook. It wasn't a commissioned work. It was in his sketchbook and it was him studying the human body so that when he did go to paint a commissioned work, he had a really in-depth understanding of how the human body worked so he could make his paintings more and more realistic. But it was this sketch from his notebook that's now in a museum. So this kind of thing has been done for years and years and years. And if you think about it for a client, it's just fine because they want to know, yes, if you have client work, that's even better. But the bottom line thing that they want to know from your portfolio is, what does your completed work look like? Can you actually build the thing that I want? And the, some of the examples that you have look similar to the kind of thing that I want. So it's not you're not tricking them. Now, don't lie and be dishonest and say that it was for a client when it really wasn't. right? But you can put examples of your work that weren't for clients in your portfolio to show what you're capable of. Okay, so. Again, build out some examples and build them precisely to be put in your portfolio so that you can show clients what they would get from you so they can see the final project product that they would get from you. That kind of thing is huge. And to be honest, a lot of clients, again, you're not purposefully trying to trick them, but a lot of clients won't even notice they won't even, it won't to them it won't look like you don't have any experience they won't even know that you don't have any experience because all they're going to look at is your portfolio they're going to give it a very cursory look and it's going to look like everybody else's a lot might not even notice 
that it wasn't done for clients. Again, don't lie. Don't try to hide it. But the, the fact of the matter is people just don't read much these days. So you're going to look like everybody else. And the, the benefit, the advantage that you're going to have is that since you are specializing, you're going to stand out even more because your portfolio will be filled with the exact thing, the exact end result that they want. Not a bunch of random stuff. The exact thing that they're after. And so oftentimes that's all they're going to need to see. And they're going to assume that you compared to somebody else who may have a thousand things in their portfolio, but it's all random stuff. They're going to assume that you know more about that one specific thing. And your portfolio gives them some proof, some meat to hold on to, to run with that assumption. So again, build a portfolio uh, of examples of the work that you specialize in. The second thing to do is then bid or apply smartly. So again, this depends on which context you're in, if you're doing freelancing or if you're doing looking to get hired for an IT career. Remember, all of this stuff so far is the same, regardless of whether it's for freelance work or it's for an employer, because employers... They look at the exact same thing, and we'll get to an example of that here in a second. But it's it's all very similar. Employers are going to look at your portfolio as well. So the second thing is to a bid or uh, or apply smartly. And what I mean by that is, if you're freelancing, only bid on projects that are very closely related to what you're specializing in. Don't go bid on something that's not related to what you do, because they're going to look at your portfolio and. You know, it might kind of make sense, but you lose that advantage, that specialization advantage that you have. And again, by only applying for those jobs, that means you're only going to hired for those jobs and you're going to work in your comfort zone, which means you're going to deliver. You're going to be you know, easier to work with. You're going to be comfortable, happy. So you're in a good mood. You're not, you're not all stressed out. You can probably going to deliver faster than what you th- you think, all of that stuff. And so you're going to, it's going to lead to a cohesive job history around that specialization. All the jobs that you've taken are related to that specialization, which is going to ultimately because of algorithms and the way things work and just the way your portfolio is going to look and your testimonial is going to look and all that, it's going to lead to you getting more of those kinds of jobs and those kinds of clients. But it's really the same too, if you're applying for IT jobs, you know, I had someone ask me this the other day about how they apply to all these jobs and someone asks them to learn Magento in three days and build them something in Magento in three days. I'm like, why are you applying for that job if you don't know Magento already? Only apply for the jobs where you already know in, in, that are related to the stuff that you're specializing in. So you should focus on those jobs first. Chances are if you do that, you're going to get hired. Now, a good example of this is a guy by the name of Chris Sean who emailed me a while back. I've talked about him before, but he was a listener that was hired by a local company just three months, three months into him starting to learn web development. Now, how did he do that? Because unlike a lot of people, he took my advice from the start and he decided to specialize right off the bat. And he specialized in bootstrap, by the way, which is not very difficult to specialize in. A lot of people would kind of laugh and snicker at specializing in bootstrap, but because it's not that difficult to learn necessarily, but that's what he did. And he built his website where he was sending people, potential employers, he built it around bootstrap and he learned the ins and outs of bootstrap. And then he applied to jobs 
that and only jobs that were looking for someone who primarily specialized or excelled in bootstrap. And as a result, he was able to get hired within just three months of starting to learn web development. And the company that ultimately hired him, they they listed on the the he, he sent me all this. He listed they listed on the job description that they wanted someone who knew like it was like a fifth list of like 10 or 15 things but their primary concern was someone who knew bootstrap that's what their number one thing was and he didn't know all of that other stuff but because he positioned himself as an expert in bootstrap and as a specialist in bootstrap they ended up hiring him and were willing to say you know you can learn the other stuff on the job all right that kind of thing happens all of the time. And it's again, because of this personality trick or this, this quirk of our thinking, where we just assume that a specialist knows more about a particular topic than a generalist, even if they don't. And so if we're looking for one thing in particular, that'll often stick with us and weigh more in our minds than everything else. So use that to your advantage when applying for jobs or bidding on freelance gigs. The third thing then is focusing on what I call soft skills. And what I mean by soft skills are how well you communicate, how reliable you are, how easy you are to work with, all of that stuff, all the non-hard technical skills, right? The, the technical skills would be like hard skills. The soft skills are the the interpersonal and working with people type skills. And that stuff matters as much, sometimes more, than your technical skill. In fact, the complaints that you'll hear most from clients, they're not, rarely are they related to something technical. I mean, rarely will you hear a client say, gee, I was really disappointed in the, the developer I hired because they didn't know how to write pre- prepared statements, <laughs> right? Like that's, that's rarely the critique that that you'll hear, right? You know, that's just, you might get someone who will say, well, they didn't know, they weren't able to deliver. Now, that's a, that's a little bit different thing, but the critiques that you're usually going to hear are stuff like, yeah, the, the guy walked out on me halfway through and I never heard from him again. Or, you know, I, she was good, but I had, uh, she never emailed me or never communicated with me. I always had to email her three or four times in order to get a response back. It was like, she just disappeared for days at a time and just terrible communicator or, you know, the, that, the, the, the developer I worked with was a jerk, right? They're just horrible to get along with. I just had no concept of working with other people and you know they knew their stuff but they just weren't a very nice person those are the critiques that you're going to hear more than any other so if you can excel at the soft skills know that you're giving yourself a huge advantage and that kind of stuff is going to come out in an interview or when a client wants to do a phone call before they hire you right those kind of things are going to come out and people are going to notice those things so Again, if you excel at those things, you have an advantage. Being easy to work with, having good soft skills, you know that can often override any deficiencies that you might have in hard technical skills because 
they would they'll look at you and say, well, they may not have those skills, but this seems like a good person. And so we're confident that they'll be able to learn those skills and we'll support them. And right, that that's the mindset that a lot of employers are going to take. So you can realize having good soft skills or being good at the soft skill part of things is a huge advantage. So put that in your favor. Be good at that stuff. All right, so to sum all this up, I've kind of gone, you know, really in depth on all of this, but to sum it all up, right? What what I would say is or how I would sum it up is first off, specialize. That's how you overcome the the two conflicts. Build a portfolio, right? It doesn't have to be filled with projects for clients. Just build a portfolio, have a portfolio. Apply to jobs or bid on projects smartly, tightly related to what you're specializing in. And then don't be a D-bag. Now, if you do all that stuff, you're going to be far and away ahead of all the other developers or most of the other developers out there. Because even a lot of the people that listen to this show and, and hear what I'm saying, don't do it. So you're going to be far and away ahead of a lot of other developers out there. And the thing is, I know that the, all those things that I just mentioned, you can do that stuff, right? You you might not be, you know, the next Mark Zuckerberg and understand all of that, all the crazy stuff that they're doing with that, right? All the super technical stuff that's like, gosh, I, I think about it and it makes my head hurt. You might not be able to do all that stuff. But the stuff I just mentioned, you can do that. Right? You can specialize. You can be good at an end result. You can build a portfolio. You can be smart about how you bid and apply to stuff. And you can be an easy person to work with. You can do that stuff. You you shouldn't ha- you shouldn't be scared or worried about that. So no more excuses. <laughs> Listen to uh, you know take in what I've just said, and then go out there and do it. If at the end of the day you just have to say screw it, I'm going to make them tell me no. Then do then then do that, and wa- sit back and watch and see what happens. All right, coming up in the next segment, we're going to take a break. But coming up in the next segment, I'm going to get into our FAQs, and I'm going to get into the YouTuber who called me out on using Upwork to get jobs. And you're not going to want to miss that response. Plus some other questions straight from you guys listening to the show. All that coming up next. You're listening to John Morris Show, johnmorrisonline.com. You know, it's kind of funny. Every time someone uh, joins my email list, I ask them a very specific question. I ask them, what would you say if I could, if I told you I could teach you how to master PHP in the next few months? And I get a lot of interesting answers. Now, I get a lot of people who, you know, they say, sign me up. Where do I start? Let's do this, right? I get people who are a little more skeptical who say, um, it would depend on the details, you know, if it costs, what it costs, etc." And then I get people probably on the, the most skeptical end who are like, well, what does it exactly take to master PHP? And all these are really great questions. Now, let me ask you this, since you're here listening. What if I told you that you could get started learning everything that you need to know to master PHP, all the foundational skills that are necessary to move you out of 
maybe that job that you're working right now that you don't really like and just get yourself into an IT career. Oftentimes, people do it making more than they were making before. But even if you could just make the same and start doing it in an IT career as opposed to like I used to do, which was wearing my little chicken costume walling around in Greece all day cooking chicken. Imagine if you could learn what you needed to learn, get the foundational skills you needed to start that process all for just seven bucks. What would your answer be? I hope your answer would be a resounding yes. Because I know I'm going to go all keep off my grass old man on you, but I remember what it was like when I was coming up and the option to get all of that training in one place simply didn't even exist at that time unless you wanted to read through a 500-page PHP manual, which I didn't want to do. But today, not only is that option available, but it's only going to cost you 7 bucks to get started. So if you're someone who's serious about learning PHP, about making a career in the IT industry, about getting out of whatever you're doing now that you might hate and getting into the tech industry, you don't have to be a PHP coder forever. That's the thing. You can, If you want to get in all the fancy new stuff, Node and Python, and well, Python's not new, but Django and all this other stuff, all these frameworks and everything that's out there, that's fine. But one of the fastest ways to get out of where you're at now and into a an IT career is through PHP because it's simply the most popular server-side backend language that you're going to find. The job opportunities are huge and there's companies out, out there that are just starving for PHP developers. Clients out there starving for people who can create PHP applications. So again, if you're someone who's serious about making that happen, then I want to encourage you to head on over to johnmorrisonline.com PHP. You can start taking module one of my PHP course for just seven bucks. So today, skip the latte from Starbucks. Head on over to johnmorrisonline.com slash php, and let's get started with your PHP career. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the John Morris Show, johnmorrisonline.com. We're now on to the last segment of this marathon episode. I kind of went a little bit longer on the main segment there than I normally do, but I really wanted to kind of dissect that for you. So hopefully you got a ton out of that. But I want to now get into some of your questions and hopefully give you some answers here. So this first one comes from GoTime over on YouTube. And he said, hey, John, new subscriber and loving your content. Thanks. I'm excited to pick through everything that's already here and check out what comes next. It's great you emphasize the core things that are important and not being too broad and getting overwhelmed. I've recently gone through some imposter syndrome and other worries, but your content has reconfirmed that I'm doing fine. So I wanted to, what stuck out to me was this whole idea of the imposter syndrome, and it's obviously related to what we've been talking about in this episode. And the thing is, is we all go through that, right? I, I've, I've talked kind of a lot about how I've, I went through that same thing. And the truth is, people go through that probably throughout their entire career. Rarely will you meet somebody who, at that stage in their career, doesn't still feel like some sort of an imposter. <laughs> Matter of fact, you can, you can go on Google and find all sorts of articles from really well-known, successful people where they're talking about how the fact that they still feel like an imposter. So we all go through it even later in your career. Uh, I'm going to kind of sound like I'm beating a dead horse here, but to me, it all goes back to positioning and specializing. You're not an imposter if you're a specialist. And it's easier to, to not be an impost, 
imposter, not feel like an imposter when you specialize in something. You know, there's a lot of things that a lot of areas of IT and, and web development and so forth that I would feel like an imposter in. Where I don't feel like an imposter is building membership sites. That's what I did uh, for clients for a lot of years. I know that inside and out. And specifically, building membership sites with WordPress and Wishlist Member, which is what I did. That's how I positioned myself. When it comes to that kind of thing, I don't feel like an imposter at all. I've built some of the biggest membership sites on the web. So, and that, you know, you hear me say that and it comes across probably as arrogant, but that's how much I don't feel like an imposter is I, I, I can sit here and say that. And I'm like, you know what? I, I feel that way. I don't feel like an imposter at all in that particular thing. Now, if you get me over in some other area, right, then I start to feel like I'm swimming and I start to feel like imposter, have all the same insecurities, et cetera. So, specialization specialization is the cure it's much easier to become an expert and confident at one very small thing than it is to try and know all of this stuff that's why the know-it-alls are the way they are because they're trying to pretend like they know everything about everything and the reality is nobody ever can so now they have to use bravado and strength of conviction to overcome (laughs) their lack of understanding of everything instead of just being able to say, look, I don't know everything about everything, but when it comes to this particular thing, I know I'm confident. I know probably more than anybody or I'm right up there. I'll take my chances. Okay. So specialization is the way through that. The last thing real quickly on that, and I kind of brought this up, but is you just need to ignore the know-it-alls. As I mentioned, they suffer from it. They suffer from imposter syndrome more than you do. Because they're trying to be an expert on all these different things. And so in some ways, they're almost an imposter in absolutely everything that they talk about. Because they're trying to pretend like they're an expert on a hundred different things when that, that sort of thing is impossible. So that's why they lash out the way they do. That's why they're so strong in their convictions. Because they feel like an imposter and they feel like an imposter in lots of different things and in lots of different areas. As opposed to, again, specializing in one thing and, and being an expert in that. So ignore those people, right? Uh, a big part of the imposter syndrome is my, in my mind is we're worried that others are going to find us out. Well, don't worry about those people. Who cares? Worry about your clients or your boss or whoever you're actually building stuff for. Not some random developer on the internet who might read your code and call you an idiot. Who cares? Go away. That's that's my general response. All right, the second one here is me getting called out from Stashbox, interesting name, over on YouTube. So what he said or she said was BS site, referring to Upwork. If you don't have any job reputation, you can't get hired. Waste of time looking for, a, look for a better option. So again, this is stuck out to me because it's related to our episode. So I wanted to find some stuff that was related to to what we were talking about here today and, and address some of the kind of the pushback. And so, so when it comes to Upwork, so this is all these sites, it doesn't matter which one you talk about. I get, I get someone who spams my comments, my YouTube videos, probably about once a month about freelancer.com being a scam. And it, and it used to be about Elance and Odesk. Like, it doesn't matter the site. There's somebody out there who's going to say, oh, it's a scam. It's stupid. It, whatever. 
right? These, these sites just take that kind of heat because people go on there and don't have success and they blame the site instead of looking in the mirror and figuring out what they did wrong. But the thing about all of these sites and work Upwork in particular is that the whole idea, the whole idea behind the site is to reward good freelancers. All the algorithms, algorithms, however you want to say that, are geared towards that. Surfacing the best freelancers for a particular project. Now, there's some nuance to that. And and so, yes, job history matters. If you're a responsible person, though, you should like that. You should like the fact that the best freelancers ultimately rise to the top. Because you you should assume that you're going to be one of them. But there is a reality that when you're new, it can be harder. Because you have established freelancers out there. And it's hard to compete with those people. And the, the, the reason is simple. It's not something nefarious on the part of Upwork. There's no conspiracy. They're actually really open about it. And it's simply because when you're new, you have not proven that you're a good developer yet. So why would they push you to the top? You haven't actually proven that you're responsible. And so they don't owe they don't owe you anything. They don't owe you a career and income. Their job is to surface the best freelancers for the clients. That's what's best for everybody. So it's your job to prove that you're one of those good developers. Now, there's some things that you can do going back to the nuance of their their phrase best developer for a project. There's some things that you can do to work around this when you're new. So again, you know, let the record scratch and me repeat myself. But the first and most important thing that you can do is to specialize. Now, again, it's not just me applying some general principle. There's a reason, very specific reason when it comes to upwork why you want to specialize. And that is because they use an, a ranking algorithm. You know, uh, clients can go on and search for freelancers to invite to their projects as well. A lot of what happens on Upwork in terms of activity, especially from seasoned clients, that's how it happens. They put up their project, but then they go and they invite, they try and find freelancers themselves to invite to the project. And so when they do those searches, uh, Upwork uses an algorithm not all unlike, all that unlike Google's. It's a search engine. So one of the elements that matters is credibility. The more credibility and the higher the rank, you know, they have a whole, Upwork has a whole ranking, freelancer ranking system. The more rank that you have or the higher the rank that you have, the more likely you are to show up for relevant searches. But it's relevant searches. So the second part of that algorithm is the one where new freelancers have an advantage and like so many people skip over. And again, that's relevance. You can you can get ahead or rank higher in particular searches than people that have more credibility by being more relevant. And so when you specialize in something in particular, then you have a greater chance of moving up in the algorithms for those particular searches because you're more relevant. And then as a side benefit, your profile is going to stick out more because you're a specialist, right? So if you have, you know, you in there and you, let's say you rank third or fourth, right? I actually ended up for my 
primary keyword search when I was on Elance, um, you know, it was wishlist member. That was my primary keyword research. I ranked third, even though there were developers who had been on there for 10 years who had far more experience than me. I ranked number three. But if you looked at the first two, it was, you know, web developer, web developer. And then number three was me, which was wish list member developer. Now, when a client sees that, they're going to see two people who, you know, have some good ratings and stuff, but they're like generic people. And then they're going to see someone who has some good ratings too, not as many, but is a specifically a wish list member developer, someone who's worked with this software before knows it inside and out. And that's all of all they do. You're going to stand out more. So not, not, not only are you going to be able to move up and rank higher for these searches uh, that maybe, you know, there's other more experienced developers who kind of have an umbrella that within their umbrella, but you're also going to stand out more to clients. We mean, they're more likely to click through, they're more likely to hire you, etc. Right. So specializing is one way that you can get around uh, that kind of newbie penalty of not having a ton of job history or credibility yet by being more relevant. So relevance and credibility. And that's why they say the best developer for a particular project because the, the relevance part of it. So that doesn't mean that for every search, the, the highest rated uh, developer on Upwork is always going to rank number one. That's not how it works. Relevance changes that. And specializing is how you can take advantage of that. Second thing, again, I've said before, your portfolio. <laughs> I don't think I have to continue to harp on this, but your portfolio is your proof that you know what you're doing. So build your portfolio, put stuff in it. It doesn't have to be from clients and show people that you can actually deliver on what you say you can. The third one then is what I call gaming the algorithm and not in some sort of sneaky way or some way that's against the terms of service, but build your job history outside or help yourself build your job history by doing things outside of the freelance site. So get clients from outside of Upwork and push them then over to Upwork. So you can do that through your own website where you have a services page and then you, when they actually go to hire you, you say, hey, I, I put it, run everything through Upwork. So if you go over here and you know sum, submit your project and then make it an invite only project and invite me to it, then we run everything through there. They just handle all the legal stuff, all the payment stuff. I had one client in the years that I freelanced that said, I really don't want to do that. I'd rather just pay you directly. And so I said, okay. So for that one client that really didn't want to do it, every other client was just like, okay. And I made a short little video that showed them exactly what to do. And they had no problem. They went over there. And now I'm not getting clients from Upwork or Elance at that time. I'm not getting clients from there. I'm getting clients on my own and then using those clients to build my job history over on Upwork works incredibly well. So again, you could do that from your serv- your own website, blog posts that you write, you know, YouTube videos, start a podcast, answer questions on Stack Overflow. I've gone through the Quora. I've gone through this time and time again. You know, it's the thing that Gary Vaynerchuk says all the time that I absolutely believe that if you are not creating content, no matter what industry you're in, you basically online don't exist. So you need to start creating content. It doesn't have to be videos. It can be written tutorials. It can be answering questions. It can be blog posts, whatever. Right? You need to start creating content outside of the freelance site and then 
pushing people to your freelance profile in all of your content on your website and so forth. And what will happen is as you do that, one client or two clients that you drum up on your own that you send through Upwork can really make a big difference uh, in terms of your job history and your credibility, especially if you're doing the right thing, specializing and targeting particular keyword searches uh, over on Upwork. Because now you're not only trying to rank with no job history, now you have some job history that's specifically related to that particular thing. Makes it much easier for you to, to rank in those searches, which means now you're going to get more of those clients. It's going to add to your job history. And it just has a snowball effect to where eventually it's like you can't turn. I, I was at the point I was getting 30 to 40 invitations to fairly relevant uh, jobs each and every day over on Elance. And I just, I would have to turn off my availability. Because it just it was overwhelming, and I mean I was maybe taking one or two new clients a month, so it just gets to a point where you can't turn it off. It snowballs on you, right? So those are the things that I would do, and those are that's the reason why those sites aren't BS. It has nothing to do with the site. The site's doing what it's supposed to do. It has to do with you understanding how it works and being able to work within it and use it to your advantage. All right, so that'll wrap it up for that question. That'll wrap it up for the show. Thanks for listening. If you're new to the show, I want to encourage you to take the 10-episode challenge. So that means go back and listen to uh, the last 10 episodes. So, you know, I've already referenced several past episodes. Uh, in this one, doing that 10-episode challenge helps you kind of stay up to date with what we're talking about, some of the stuff that I referenced that I've talked about before. You'll have heard it now, and it makes sense. And it just gives you a better idea of what's going on. And then it also... As you do that, we'll give you a much better idea if you'd like to subscribe to the show long-term, which I would love if you would do that. You can head on over to johnmorrisonline.com slash podcast, and that will show you all of the past episodes. It'll give you all the links for to subscribe on iTunes and uh, Android, Stitcher, all that stuff. All that stuff is at johnmorrisonline.com slash podcast. So head on over there and do that. Now, if you do me a favor, I'm going to be a little... <laughs> maybe in your face, but I am a little disappointed because I've asked about this before. Uh, and I get people who email me or they'll leave a comment over on SoundCloud all the time about how they love the show. They love the podcast, etc. But I'll ask people to head on over to iTunes and leave a rating. And I haven't had a ton of people do that. And so it's been a little bit disappointing uh, to see that, but I want to encourage you, if you're someone who's listened to the show, maybe you've already written me or you've thought about written me or you writing me or you just like the show and haven't really said anything, would really, really appreciate it if you would uh, go to johnmorrisonline.com slash iTunes. That'll just take you to the iTunes listing of the podcast and leave a rating or uh, an even better if you'd leave a review over there. I'd really appreciate that because that helps me with that helps me with ranking in iTunes and getting more people exposed to the show and so forth and as that happens you know I can I can do more with the show I'll just say that so I'd really appreciate it it obviously benefits me but long term I think it would lead to it benefiting you as well so again I'd really really appreciate if you would uh, do that again it's johnmorrisonline.com slash iTunes all right. If you like the show, be sure to like it. If you know somebody would benefit from hearing it, I'd appreciate it if you would share it with them. And if you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Again, johnmorrisonline.com slash podcast. 
for all of the different links and past episodes and so forth. All right. Thanks again for listening. We'll talk to you next time.